Hello, this is Leslie Garfo-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. In this episode, we're going to do something a little different. We're talking products liability, but in this instance, I'm going to be the one interviewed. I'm interviewed by my colleague, Dean Michelle Simon. We both teach torts, but I love talking about products liability, particularly because it marries both contract law and tort law, two of the topics that I teach. Before we get started, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the emails and tweets I've gotten. We've gotten a lot of requests about professors and topics, and I've tried to accommodate most of your requests. If I haven't accommodated it, I will try and get it done over the summer. Speaking of summer, as finals roll around, I want to wish you the best of luck on finals. And as you get ready for your classes for next year, give me a shout out on what topics you'll be taking, and I'll see if I can meet those requests too. All right, here's my discussion on products liability. Thank you for joining me and being my guest host today. It's my pleasure to to be here, and I'm looking forward to hearing all about products liability. So why don't we start and tell me how products liability fits into the area of torts. All right, that's a great question. So we know that in torts, there's certain causes of action, right? There is the intentional torts, and there's negligence, right? Products liability is a, it's not a tort per se, but rather it's a class of different types of torts that the plaintiff can bring when a product that's been put into the stream of commerce malfunctions. So for instance, if I buy a toaster and the toaster blows up in my face, or if I buy a crib and the crib slats are too close together so my baby gets her head stuck in it. So the question is, if some product injures me or my family, and I have to bring a cause of action, what kind of cause of action can I bring? And there are actually three different causes of action that one can bring under this umbrella of products liability. Okay, and what are those three different kinds of causes of action? So the first type of cause of action is just straight negligence, right? So let's take the situation where I buy a um, toaster, I order it from Toasters or Us, they send it to me in the mail, and I go to toast something and it blows up and it burns my arm, right? So... If I can prove the toaster manufacturer had a duty to me, right? They have a duty to present a or, or sell me a toaster that's not going to hurt me. And they breached it because this toaster hurt me, right? But if I can prove that they were aware of the duty, right? They had a duty and they breached it. And but for whatever that thing is that they did that caused the breach, I was hurt. And it's foreseeable that that thing that caused the breach would hurt me and I can prove negligence, then I can sue them under negligence, duty, breach, causation, harm, right? Okay, so when you're talking about that thing that caused the breach, you're talking about something that was uh, developed improperly or something like that? Right, it could be either developed improperly, it could be um, that they failed to make sure that it had the right wiring when they made it. It could be something that they hired a guy who wasn't doing quality control properly. It could be... If they had a reason to know that they were putting into the, you know, chain of commerce, for lack of a better word, a good that could hurt me, and they disregarded that understanding, then they breached their duty, right? So right. whatever so that's really the same kinds of things that you would have to analyze in order to have a regular negligence cause of action. Correct. It's exactly a cause of action under negligence. It's just that it's the product 
and the manufacturer of the product or the seller of the product that's causing that harm. Okay. So that's the first cause of action. And if, if the plaintiff isn't successful in pro- proving duty, breach, causation, and harm, then they have a second type of cause of action they can bring. And do many plaintiffs usually bring more than one cause of action at a time? Yes, they're going to bring all three. And all I would right. say on an exam, if you see a product's liability question, you should analyze it under uh, negligence, but also under these other two, the first being um, strict liability and the second being breach of warranty. So you've got three causes of action, negligence, strict liability, 402A, and um, breach of warranty. Okay, so, so tell me a little bit about li- strict liability. So strict liability 402A says that if the consumer gets a good or if that is in a defective condition unreasonably dangerous to the user or consumer, that the consumer can sue the manufacturer or seller of this good. And, so, and what, what is 402A? So 402A is a restatement. It's restatement second 402A. And basically, under 402A, the plaintiff can successfully sue the defendant without having to show that the defendant had any reason to know. It's a strict liability cause of action. So in other words, so long as this good is in a defective condition that's unreasonably dangerous to the user or consumer, right, they can prove um, strict liability and they'll be able to recover. Okay, so so then we have these these two different causes of action, negligence cause of action, where you have to prove the actual elements of negligence, a strict liability cause of action, mm-hmm. uh, which comes from the restatement, where um, it doesn't matter if the uh, defendant had any knowledge that, that there could be harm to the consumer. And what's the third kind of cause of action? So the third cause of action actually stems from contract law, and it's a breach of warranty action. So, you know, and I don't, so some, some, maybe some torts classes don't necessarily teach this third one because it's a contract theory, but it is considered a product's liability theory. Every time a good is sold anywhere in the country, every jurisdiction has adopted the UCC, which basically says that all goods have attached to them this implied breach of warranty, that it's going to be fair average good. So if you buy a knife, it's going to work like a knife. If you buy a bicycle, it's going to work like a bicycle. It's going to be fair average. If that good is not fair average, then there's a breach of warranty, right? So in other words, let's say that I buy a bicycle, right? And they promise me a fair average bicycle and the wheel falls off on the bicycle and I hurt myself. Then that bicycle is less than fair average. And in that case, I can sue the manufacturer. Now, the thing about breach of warranty is that all you need to prove is that the seller sold something that was less than fair average. And there are three different ways it can be less than fair average. It can be a design defect, meaning the good is designed improperly. The slats on the crib are not the proper width apart. It can be a manufacturing defect, meaning this one good has a problem. This good, they didn't put the spokes on the wheel properly. Or it can be a failure to warn defect, which means that the good came without adequate warning that um, this good good could potentially harm you. The thing about breach of warranty is that there's no punitive damages in contract law. So as a plaintiff, breach of warranty is easiest to prove because you don't have to prove any liability or any knowledge, I should say, to your point, on the part of the seller. But you don't get as much money if you win. 
Well, you just don't get punitive. Damages, you don't get punitive correct? damages, but, right? But you still would get compensatory. You still get compensatory, but you don't get right. You, you but you don't. Yes, right. you're and you right. don't necessarily get. You can ask for punitive damages in a negligence under a negligence right. theory right. or a strict liability right. theory, but you wouldn't necessarily get them. That's true. There that is as well. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely okay. true. Yeah. So, uh, so talk about on an exam. Um, so how would you know that what you're dealing with, for example, is a products liability question, and then how would you approach that question? All right. So anytime you see a good, right, I would think products liability. I gave an exam once where a TV tipped over on a kid's head because the um, mechanisms that held it in place weren't properly um, created, weren't properly manufactured. Anytime you see a good, I think it's anytime you see a good causing harm, I think it's important to ask yourself: Is this a products liability issue? So, if you see a good causing harm, you ask yourself: Is this a products liability issue? And if it's a products liability issue, then I think you need to go through the three different types of products liability causes of action. First, was the manufacturer negligent? Did the manufacturer have a duty? Did the manufacturer breach that duty? Was there causation? Was there harm? And I say manufacturer, but you could also look at a seller. So it could be a manufacturer or it could be a seller, whoever sold that good. If that doesn't work, then you say, or even if it does, you should say, we should also look at 402A, was this good in a defective condition unreasonably dangerous to the user or consumer? Did this um, toaster come with faulty wiring, something like that? That was a defective condition that caused it to blow up. And then third, I would say, now that I've looked at negligence, now that I've looked at 402A strict liability, I'd say, is there a claim under breach of warranty? And if there's a claim under breach of warranty, I'd say, what type of breach was this? Was this a design defect? It's a design defect if all the televisions had faulty attachment mechanisms. Is it a manufacturing defect? It's a manufacturing defect if one was manufactured wrong to cause harm. So on an exam, if you see that all of the good had the same problem, you think design defect. If you think that only one of the goods among the thousands that were produced has this defect, then you think a manufacturing defect. And finally, was there a failure to warn about the product? Um, did this hair dye cause scalps to itch? You know, so And they didn't give you a heads up that if you were allergic to hair dye or something like that. So that's basically how I would approach it. Okay, that sounds very interesting and very straightforward, and I thank you very much. Thank you. Terrific. Okay. Thank you. So that's my discussion with Dean Michelle Simon on products liability. Good luck on your finals, and look for us again next week on Lord of Fact. Thanks again to www.bensound.com for the music, and enjoy your day.